there's a guy who I know who's a big watch collector who collects a lot of the high-end brands. And he tells me he gets a call from one of the big brands. I'm not going to say the name. And the girl on the other line, she's at the boutique. And she says, I have this brand new watch that just came in. You're on my list. Do you want it? It's like this boutique only item, blah, 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 blah. Do you want it? And he goes, well, um, how much? He goes, well, I got to think about it. Think about it. You have 15 minutes to call me back or I'm taking you off the list. I'll never call you again. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. Uh, we're recording, man. All right. All right. Well, welcome to Riskful Thinking. This is the podcast where we drop bad puns and tick off our listeners as we talk about watches. Now, today we're here to chat live, watches, fans, collectors, and watch freaks. Now, I'm Cameron Martell, founder of WatchesYouCanAfford.com. And with more than 60 watches in my collection, including two lives, it's fair to say I'm a certified watch freak too. Now, if this is your first time listening in on the podcast, let me give you a quick intro to Live Watches. Now, Live is an American-owned, Swiss-made watch company that ships watches direct to their fans all over the world. Check out Live at livewatches.com. That's L-I-V watches.com for more information on the brand, their culture, and the watches they love to make. Now, today's episode is an interesting one. It's one that's been on my mind for a long time. Uh, Watches You Can Afford is a review site I started in 2013, and it was through Watches You Can Afford that I got exposure to lots and lots of micro brands. And so today's episode is a topic I'm really interested in. Today, we're chatting about how the modern consumer is shaping the watch industry and why that process is driving micro brands and boutique watch brands to take over. So with me today, I've got Chaz. He's the Live Watches co-founder, Genuine Watch Freak. Chaz, what's going on, buddy? How are you, Cameron? Thanks for joining us for this episode. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. You know what? This is really exciting. It's uh, it's nice to chat watches with genuine industry experts. So, oh, thanks. There's a few areas I was I was hoping we could spend some time today. Um, first, let's chat. You know what's wrong with watches right now? The challenges facing this industry, both mainstream brands and micros. I think, you know, the last riskful thinking episode was about COVID, and I feel like COVID has really exacerbated some of the larger issues that existed in the industry anyways. And then I thought we'd get into who that modern consumer is and what they expect from brands. And maybe we could finish up with what successful brands might look like in 2020, 2021. What do you think? I think it's awesome. It's a great topic. And I think a lot of people are very interested in it. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let's start with this. Um, I just want to retouch on the COVID situation. So the last episode of Riskful Thinking talked a lot about COVID and, and some of the impacts to it. Um, let's re- refresh some of those, right? So what are we looking at from a short-term, maybe medium-term view, you know, re- impacts from COVID and what's likely to hang around for a while? Yeah, so obviously uh, COVID is, is a disruptor. I mean, who ever thought that COVID would basically just take down everything? If you want to talk about in general from an economic perspective, obviously um, it's reshifting a lot of things. Like it's, it's shaking the box. That's across all industries, and in particular, obviously, in, in the watch business. You know, watches you know, were very retail-oriented up, up until now, or up until the last 10 years. Everything was based on walking into the store, talking to your authorized dealer, you know, him showing you the latest collections. Um, but the new consumer, which we've got into, is, is not doing that anymore. And COVID is really like the ultimate, like, boom, the buck stops here. Like, it's over. Like this whole idea of walking into a store is done. Yeah. So, yeah, I I can align with that. It's interesting because a big part of what I do outside of my life in watches is actually focused around the, uh, the networking managed infrastructure 
cybersecurity industry, right? And we've known that there's been an acceleration of this remote work lifestyle for a while. It's been, I mean, I think it's fair to say over the past decade, it's become a more common practice. But, you know, in January, if you asked me about remote work, I would have told you that that's accelerating. Now it's kind of here. But remote work extends to more than just where people work. It also extends to where they go, how they shop, right? Habits are being changed right now. People are getting uh, intertwined with online ecosystems. And so I agree with you. I think that you know, any industry or brand that relies heavily on retail as their primary way of reaching their customers is going to really suffer in the in the weeks, months, years to come. Yeah, it's really I mean, it's it's, it's quite devastating and particularly to obviously travel restaurants and you're not just going there to get food, but you're going there just, you know, you're going for the ambiance, you're going for the in dining, you're going for the experience. And, you know, right now you just you don't have that. Yeah. You know, yeah, let me speak to that a quick sec. We're gonna it'll take us away from watches, but my family actually owned a restaurant downtown Calgary for 13 years. Wow. And our margins were were never really that high. And so I mentioned that because I'm I'm sure, you know, maybe you're like me where you've really gone into the the delivery apps, right? To get good food delivered to your door. Um, DoorDash. Yeah, DoorDash, Uber Eats, whatever, right? Um, but they take a pretty hefty cut of that sale. Uh, and so restaurants, it's funny, like a lot of restaurants nearby where I am are telling me outright, like, you know, ordering from Uber Eats doesn't actually help us much. Like we would love it if you would call us and order with us directly. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Because there just isn't really the isn't really the margin there. And then so I was out last week because, you know, um, the lockdown's being lifted. So I went to a, a rooftop patio last week to have my first beer outside of my house in, in three months. <laughs> It was the most surreal feeling, awkward feeling thing ever um, to the point where it was almost off-putting. Everybody was so pensive. It was like, you know, we want to be here, but also we're kind of afraid about being here right now. Right. So I'm giving it a little bit because the experience you just mentioned didn't exist. It wasn't like that nice sit down, relaxing atmosphere. It was it was stressful, you know? Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I think that's uh, that's reverberating. But let's look beyond COVID, right? Because I think there's there's challenges that exist in, in the uh, watch industry that are inherent to the industry that COVID just came and made worse, but they already existed. What do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think COVID is really bringing to the forefront the problem that the industry had up until now and where they're completely reliant. And this is not just one particular brand. This is across the board. All brands are where they rely, you know, on this sort of ancient style of doing business. I mean, I call it like ancient, like it's literally like we're going back to the Stone Age. I mean, I know it sounds crazy when I say retail is the Stone Age, but it is. I mean, the way technology and the way the new consumer and the fast pace it's moving at um, and the abilities to do, you know, whether it's research, whether it's communication or whatever it is, you know, it's at the tip of their hand. Like they don't need to develop relationships, you know, only face to face. And obviously COVID is bringing that to the forefront. And I think now it's like a day of reckoning for a lot of brands. And, you know, listen, you know, it's always great that I can say, listen, you know, our idea was never go to retail. Yeah. And so therefore, you know, I, <laughs> no one saw this coming. Like I, I knew retail was dead. Yeah. I just didn't know that it was this dead. <laughs> well, because I feel like the sentiment, you know, I never felt retail was dead. I definitely felt like its relevance was decreasing and that its its opportunity was declining. Right. But I always figured there was going to be a segment of the population that just wanted to be able to go see, hold, feel, you know, touch whatever it is they're shopping. And my wife's actually one of those people where she really like that's an experience that matters to her. Whereas as soon as I was able to stop going to the malls, that was it was the best day of my life. You know what I mean? Like, I'm totally happy to, to do things remotely. I'm saying as a guy, there is no guy in the world that wants to go to a mall. <laughs> <laughs> Not unless there's a pub in it. Exactly. Um, 
it's almost like retail now though it's it's as much a liability as it as it was an opportunity right like because now you've got this huge overhead you got staff you've got rent you got all this stuff and uh i mean covid really just took the carpet right out from underneath you didn't it yeah it's really really crazy i think we're living through times that are probably our kids we'll be able to tell our kids like have young kids and like they don't really understand like for them it's like school zoom but like they don't really understand like what it is you know like they don't understand like you know the roaring 20s going into the depression right. like they don't understand these and it's not just a u.s problem yeah it's not a canadian problem this is a worldwide problem it's hitting everybody it's going to change everything from retail um anything from restaurants to regular shops and to bring up a point that you just mentioned that you know retail is not completely dead i agree with you um but retail is a the way i see retail retail is an extension of what you're doing online versus the other way around. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. It's like the Apple, the Apple store model, right? Yeah, so, right. Apple's an extension or like, there's some other brands that I really like. There's another brand which I follow, Tacova's Boots. Um, they're a brand that started online and now they're opening up retail shops. And I'm, I'm guessing they're going to be hurting now with this whole COVID thing, but their, their base of their business is really online. And the store is really a way for them to create an, a, a physical experience. So it's not about selling for them. It's about creating this, this experience. Right. So, you know, if you, if you want to just pick, like a place to pick up your boots or yeah. pick up your watch, it could just be a lockbox. But they're creating this really warm experience that that gives you the feeling of everything that they've seen online. Right. Now they can see in, in, in physical reality. Well, well, hang on. So that's interesting. Let's let's touch on that. Um, when I first, you know, gained hands on exposure to live, it was what was that? Six, seven months ago. Um, you know, I got my, my first time I got the, the live on my wrist, you know, and I'm seeing and feeling it. What I, what I took away and keeping in mind, like I have held or worn 250 plus watches over the past seven years or so. Right. Thanks to uh, my work with watches you can afford, but the, the live watch, it was the GX one a that I put on the first time. That was the first time that a watch felt like it looked on the website. And you know what I mean? Like it felt special, premium. It felt nice. The dial was was deep and there was so much to look at and appreciate. I almost had a sense of that by what I was able to, to see on web, on your social channels and the emails, uh, the media on the website. That doesn't happen very often, but I kind of feel like figuring that out is probably like the holy grail of the modern business if you're a watch brand or whatever, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't think it's just a product. Um, I think it's also, well, obviously the product is the most important thing, but it's right. also, I don't know if, I don't know if we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna touch on this, but you know, a big part of Live is not just selling, right. it's more about creating connections. So we don't look at selling, we look at educating. We have a certain uh, style of the way we do things. What we call it like the brand DNA in where, you know, it's it's not just the sale for us. It's really like an interaction that's part of a relationship. And that's how we look at it. But, you know, getting to getting to what you just said about the, let's say, for example, the GX1A. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we I mean, every watch that that we that we design and that we build is from the ground up, meaning like it's our design. It's it's you know, we we, we pick and choose, you know, what materials we're going to use, et cetera, et cetera. And interestingly enough, you know, one of the hardest things that we have is actually portraying exactly what the product looks like. And, and something earlier on, 
that we realized is that a lot of the reviews, while they were five-star reviews, a lot of them said, oh, wow, I can't believe this is what it looks like. Like, what do you mean? Like, what I'm saying, they seemed like overly shocked that the product that they got was so amazing. And Well, can we can we call a spade a spade for a second? Uh, how many Kickstarters are live right now for, for watches? How many of those watches follow a very similar formula, right? And I've acquired watches from Kickstarter. I've received watches from Kickstarter brands. And the media that you consume a lot of the time isn't an actual photo of the watch. It's a rendering, right? Right? And, and so when you get the watch, mm. it's different. It's not as perfect. It's uh, the reflections aren't perfect. The finishing isn't perfect. But when you look at it, on, you know, online, it is. So and, and I'm not going to lie to you, dude. Like when I received uh, the GX1A and the Rebel, I was genuinely surprised at how well presented these watches were. Not because I mean, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think Live was a bad brand or a good brand or whatever. I was surprised because of all the Kickstarter watches, all the boutique brands, everything that I've had, none of them have actually looked as good in person as they did in the photos online. That's what I meant when I said like that feeling existed where I, I legit got mm. the same feeling from the watch in person that I got when I saw those high resolution, super up close photos on the website, right? And as I mean, you as you know from from watches you can afford, macro photography, getting really close to small things, is one of my favorite things to do. And so the the, the live experience for me was satisfying on multiple levels because these watches are awesome to photograph, <laughs> right? So thank you. Well, thank you, man. It's uh, it's wrist porn, dude. What can I tell you? It's not often <laughs> that that happens, right? No, absolutely. Um, but I want to I want to bring up some an interesting topic that you just mentioned about reference to Kickstarter. Uh, you know, a lot of people. You know, think of Kickstarter as a place like, you know, somebody just wants to you know, get rich quick kind of thing, like, you know, build a watch or build something and, and just, oh, I can do this. They go on to Kickstarter and they think it's just so easy to do. Like, I'll just put up a product, get great photography or do some renderings, which, like you said, by the way, that is illegal according to um, the guidelines on Kickstarter because they themselves can't differentiate. I even have a hard time sometimes differentiating because they'll mix and match a lot of times like rendering stuff like they'll go in close shot they'll use renderings but then they like they'll back out and they'll use real photography so they really right. don't have to show the details but in any case the first time we went to kickstarter was really part of our business plan when we decided to create live and i we were trying to say to ourselves okay how do we define what we stand for how do we clearly you know lay out a you know this is what we want to do what do you guys think and Kickstarter is the obvious fit. So it was like a more like a proof of concept. You know, we wanted to be able to fund our production right. of the first watches. But, you know, once we started putting all the pieces together in reference to how we wanted the brand to act or how we should communicate, et cetera, et cetera, we realized that Kickstarter is, is a great platform for our fit because it develops these strong connections and the long lasting connections. We have people that have backed every single one of our projects and you know they feel it's a great way to get people involved in something and that's a big part of the brand is not just talking but listening to the people that that wear our watches i i think i mentioned to you before about right. the golden nuggets that are out there in the street that people don't realize like some of the big brands don't realize that you know if you just talk to the people that love and wear your watches they will give you some amazing insight That'll save you millions of dollars of like bad inventory. <laughs> and, you know, you will get a much better product um, if you just listen to the people that wear your watches. You know, and actually that's important because, you know, the next thing I wanted to ask was about this disconnect that I feel in the industry. Um, and there are some brands I feel very connected to and Liv's a good example of one. That's why I'm on the podcast today, right? Because I'm happy to, to advocate for a brand that I believe in. There's a lot of brands I would love to feel connected with that I just can't. I, you know, I run a large-ish site, review site, you know, and I still can't get anybody from, from uh, you know, a big, big box store to talk to me. 
you know, I email some uh, some of the some of the more mainstream Swiss companies, you know, the ones I'm talking about, they don't get back to you. And all I'm trying to do is advocate and spread the love of watches and they don't care. Right. And so there's a there's like a disconnect. I don't feel connected to these brands and to the point where why am I going to spend four, sometimes five figures on these brands now? Right. Um, what do you think? What do you think about that? Where the industry could maybe shore up and improve that connection with their with their uh, customers and fans? Yeah, listen, I mean, that's one of the reasons we created Live. I mean, we created Live not just to create beautiful products, but also to develop these connections because we realize that guys like you, guys like me, we want to be able to talk to the brands that we love and that we wear. Right. We, our wrist is real estate. <laughs> you know, wrist estate, you can call it. Wrist right? estate. So, wrist estate. Not to mention the money that comes out of our pocket right. to put that watch on our wrist and and watches in today's consumer you know watch is not a commodity right. you know it's we're not we're not in the 50s now where people needed a watch to figure out what time the train was leaving yeah we have the phone the phone could tell a great time yeah we wear watches because we just love watches of course we want the watch to be accurate we want we want it to be beautiful but we just we love the craft of it we love the design of it we just feel naked without wearing a watch and i think the big brands are, are going to have to figure something out because their their current style is we build it, you buy it, shut up. And the more I tell you to shut up, the more you're going to want it. Like there's just the attitude that the big brands have and the crap that they get away with is just amazing. I don't understand it, but you know, like for example, there's a guy who I know who's a big watch collector who collects a lot of the high-end brands. And he tells me he gets a call from one of the big brands. I'm not going to say the name. And the girl on the other line, she's at the boutique and she says, I have this brand new watch that just came in. You're on my list. Do you want it? It's like this boutique only item, blah, 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 blah. Do you want it? And he goes, well, um, how much? He goes, well, I got to think about it. Think about it. You have 15 minutes to call me back or I'm taking you off the list. I'll never call you again. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. Like what kind of BS is that? And what do you think he did? Very smart guy. Found a new brand. No, he didn't. Oh. He went and bought it. He went and bought it and he calls me up. He tells me, I feel like such a sucker. Unbelievable. <laughs> I said, dude, you're a total sucker. You fell for that. I mean, that's crazy. Unbelievable. I would say, take me off the list. Yeah. I don't need yeah. your, I mean, for God's sakes. Yeah. But you know what? They give you that feeling that they can just piss all over people yeah. and people will love them even more. I mean, is, is and I believe the new consumer, and this is something that we've spoken about off the podcast, I believe the new consumer is smarter than that. There's just so many other options they want. They want to be recognized. They want to be heard. They want to develop connections with real people, not just people that are just going to put out a watch there, put it on some celebrity and say, dude, you want it? You got five seconds to decide. Like, really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not going to pander to that level of pretentiousness. It just feels it feels artificial. What I do want to talk about the modern consumer. Yeah. So during my prep for this conversation, you know, I was re-listening to earlier Wristful Thinking episodes. And on episode two, the full truth about Kickstarter, which itself is a great listen, uh, you make a few comments about the modern consumer. And they stuck with me a lot. Uh, that comment in particular. So I want to like, let's get into that. Who is the modern consumer in your eyes? Oh, they're, they're much more educated than they were in the past. I know it sounds, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to uh, throw the old generation under the bus, but the new consumer I mean, all, the it, new consumer is so much more smarter. They just have access to yeah. so much information. In all fairness, like you didn't have instant access to all of the world's information in your pocket, you know, back in the 90s, 80s, right? Like, no way. Yeah, no way. You know, I, I, I decided um, yesterday or two days ago to take the kids camping because their school's over and camp doesn't start and there's so much issue. They've been stuck in the house for three months. Like, I'm just going to take them for a couple of days camping. I literally like booked everything like in, in four hours, everything from campsite to RV to everything was literally booked 
and things. I shopped the best price. I got everything done in five minutes. I learned about, you know, how these things work. Nice. You know, how 50 amps, 30 amps. I had no idea. In five seconds, I figured everything out. Yeah, it's nice. We can do that today, right? And uh, Absolutely. I, you know what? And I think that um, that's important because we also live now in a world where, like, authenticity can be hard to find. Everything you read on Google has a slant. You know, my day job is an internet marketer. It's my job to uh, to get websites yeah. found on Google. And so I'm acutely aware of actually how easy it is to do that. Meaning that like I'm extremely skeptical now of what I'm finding online, right? But people people yeah. are very quick to to go to Google, to go to Facebook, to go to Amazon, read reviews and consume all this information that exists. So now it's not just like, oh, I can't wait to grab this watch. Like they're the experience they want to have, they already know what they're gonna get because they're able to more or less qualify. Like, does this tick all of the right boxes? And through half hour of research, you can determine if it does or not. Yeah. I think that's pretty amazing. It is. It's really, really incredible. Yeah. So building on that authenticity bit, I think there is now a, a, an increasingly large segment of the consumer market that wants to be directly involved with the brands that they choose to support, you know, whether it's like, you know, giving feedback on products or whatever. And, and you mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago about Kickstarter, that that's part of the reason why you did the Kickstarter. And I'm wondering, you know, if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Kickstarter, obviously, like I mentioned before, is is not just a platform to raise money. Um, it's also a platform, first of all, to prove each, let's say, for example, each new collection we went to Kickstarter with, that there was, there was a couple ideas. The first idea was to figure out, okay, does this concept work? Let's prove it. Let's prove it if it works or not. The other thing is, if it does work and it does pick up people, which so far every single one of our Kickstarters has, these people feel much more connected. Again, we're all about creating connections, right? The strength of the connection is going to be much stronger when they were there from the ground up. And that's where people want to be. People want to be there right. from the beginning. They want to be the first. They want to be the trailblazers of new products. And they want to be involved with these new products. And that's why we feel Kickstarter is a great platform. We actually built our own sort of like little Kickstarter platform where we launched, we do like micro launches. Like we just relaunched the Rebel AR. So like, I'm not going to take the Rebel and go back to Kickstarter because the concept obviously works. I don't have to prove it anymore. Right. But um, we have our own little platform where people can can back, um, you know, like a, like the the reedition. We you know we just did a reedition of the Rebel AR, like I said, and we did it on our own platform. But yeah, the, the Kickstarter platform for us is just it, it, it's not just a platform, right. but it's it's what it does. And it's it's a connection tool in a way as well, right? But I mean, Live is is quite effective at connecting with its uh, with its fans, you know, beyond just Kickstarter. Like, if, you know, I think your guys' social media game is is right on point, and there's a there's a level of engagement. You know, there's a conversation that takes place between Live the company and and Live the culture. That's almost what what I what I uh, what I noticed. Right? It's part of why I agreed to to do the podcast. Right? Because I won't lie to you. Like when, when it was like, hey, let's do a podcast. My first thought was, is this going to potentially you know alienate me from that position of objectivity? And when I went back and reread my reviews, and then I looked at the watches, I went, no, not at all. In fact, that like I am happy to to put my name behind a, a company that gives me that connection, right? But that's that's part of the modern consumer. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about since I last listened to that episode. And I want to, we're going to dive in more in, in a second into because like my expectations are different today than they were even a few years ago. I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, like there was a time when I was happy just to go buy a thing and, and feel good about it. Whereas now I value the thing a lot more if I understand it, if I know where it came from, if I know who's behind it and how it's made and, and whatever. And I think the education bit's really important. I mean, 
I mean, the Live Watches blog is filled with education articles on just about everything, right? I can read what a sapphire crystal is. I can learn the difference between quartz and mechanical movements, whatever. But that's important because it gives me a connection. And I really like it. But it made me wonder, like, and you would know this way more than I would. There's clearly a difference now with what the modern consumer expects from the brands that they choose to invest in. And I think it's more than just the look. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the look is obviously the, the big draw, what brings right. you in. But then he wants something else. They they just they they want like I said they want they 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 want to know who the people who are who you know who build their products that they love. They want to be able to feel comfortable with them. They shouldn't be like the sort of like, you know, I'm here, you're there, so therefore you know, send me an email or, you know, send yeah. info at blah 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 blah. You know, people want like people want to talk to real people. I mean, how great is it when you could just email like right. you know Ernest at LiveWatches.com or just call him. Are and 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 that's what they want. They want they want the per you know you know we're a boutique brand. You know we consider ourselves like sort of like an artisan boutique style brand. We don't make a ton of watches every year. I know I know a lot of the people personally that wear our watches, and and if you look at a lot of the reviews that we get, besides we're talking about the product, you know it's really interesting because Google has this sort of like algorithm that says oh reviews should be only about the product, not about the people who sold the product. They always try to figure out like what, you know, they, they, they'll like, they push things around when it comes to these reviews because, and I don't know how to tell people, guys, can you just focus on the product and stop <laughs> rant and, and stop, you know, talking about yeah. how great we are? Do you know what I'm saying? Because Google wants, Google wants product reviews and what they're getting is like, oh my God, it's the best. These people are they're great. You know, I needed this. They took care of this. Da, 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 da. I love it. Listen, it's great. And we always, we, we have like a group chat and we, every time we get one of these you know, I, we, we post them internally so everybody can see like these, you know, great feedback, you know, cause I mean, we do put a lot of work into making everybody feel comfortable and educating people and, and, and creating these really strong lasting connections. And, and it's not just about the watch, it's about the people. So, so you, that connection component, how do you foster that? I mean, technology is, technology is a big part of it. I mean, you have to, we have to use technology. Like for example, like we're, we're like, we use SMS, like SMS is a big part of it. Like when, when somebody, when someone buys something on livewatches.com, they'll get it e immediately an SMS from me personally um, that says, Hey, it's Chaz here. You know, here's your order number. Please hit me up. And if you reply to that, you'll get me or Ernest or usually, I mean, I'm on it all the time. I'm literally on the chat all the time. And I answer people all the time. I love it. For me, like a big part of my day, like I literally spend, I spend a quarter of my day talking to people, a quarter of my day dealing with product and obviously, you know, new product and, and, and other things and looking, looking for new, new ideas that what we could do. We spend, but I literally spend either probably, maybe not even a quarter, maybe like half of my time is spent like literally picking up the phone and it's really weird. And I get, I, I know it sounds crazy, but people call and they're like, um, hey, I need help with this, or can I have a question about this? I'm like, sure. And I say, can I get your name? She's like, yeah, my name is this. Hi, my name is Chaz. Like, oh, you're Chaz? I'm like, yeah, why? Why? They're like, they're, it's, it's, so, it's so refreshing that someone could just call a company and you actually get the co-founder on the phone and they're talking to you. And I will talk to people for hours. I don't care. I, I'm, not, I'm not the person to say, yeah, hey, I got to go. I'm never the person. They're always, oh, I got to go. I don't want to keep you, Chaz. I'm like, all right, dude, call me back anytime you want, man. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of heartwarming. <laughs> well, but that's what we're uh, all about. I love that. I mean, I started the conversation off by saying that, you know, there's a, there's like a lack of authenticity that's out there. And and so being authentic in that way is just, it's very refreshing. It's, and it's not something you get often, right? And 
you know, building on that, um, you know, having reviewed lots and lots of watches and held lots of watches, I've actually noticed, and of late, like I'm talking the last year, but particularly this year, since January, there's like a fracturing in the in the micro brand watch community, right? And and so some enthusiasts are very strict about what they call a micro brand. Others are very loose. And I think this is actually because of the proliferation of micro brand watches over the past few. It's been like a literal explosion of watches, right? And so the community is not too sure how to how to designate how to handle that. So you know, why don't you tell me what do you what makes a brand a micro brand? Mm, that's a really, really good question. And it's really hard to answer. Yeah, there, there's definitely been an explosion of micro brands. But again, like what, is, what constitutes a brand? And I think that's what really, that's where we really have to start. And, and then once we figure that out, then we could figure out like, well, you know, at what point are you no longer micro? Are you like, we consider ourselves a boutique brand? No, we're not small. You know, we have, we have staff, we have production, we have things going on. Um, we're not like a one man operation, you know, we're close to 10 people already here. And so, you know, we're, we definitely like, I don't know what, uh, what threshold you start saying, okay, I'm not micro and I'm now like, a, you know, I'm not micro anymore. I don't know. But in any case, yeah, there's been an explosion of a lot of brands that have shown up recently, um, in the past couple of years. And unfortunately, a lot of them are just, they're just there to sell. Do you know what I'm saying? And they're not, yeah. So they, they just want to sell, you know, they're yeah. not like brand building, no, relationship building, yeah. you know, you know, thinking about, you know, what the brand identity is, what it looks like, you know, uh, visuals, uh, connections, um, you know, product releases. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking, okay, we got to get the sales up, da, da, da. What are we doing? And like we spoke in off, offline, you know, there's a lot of the stuff where there's, there's there's nobody designing stuff. There's people that not nobody, but there's a lot of people that are just not designing stuff. They just go out there and find off the shelf designs, and then just run it through a factory, and that's it. Like there's no brand behind it. Like okay, I need packaging. I need a. I know what's the name going to be. Here's my logo. Blah blah blah. Like what? Right. You know what? I I want to tell you a quick story actually because you just you just kind of reminded me of this. Um, I'm reviewing a watch right now and I'm not going to mention the brand. I'm not going to get too specific so I don't want to get yelled at, but I'm reviewing a watch right now and it's a good looking watch. I took, I took my macro photos of it. It looks great. The finishing's not perfect, but it's quite acceptable given the price point. Overall, I'm pretty happy with it. So you can imagine how I felt when, you know, I'm, I'm surfing Alibaba. I don't do it often, but I sometimes do. And I saw the exact watch that I had on my wrist on that site color, hands, indices, everything. And it was like a quarter of the price, meaning that I'm reviewing a watch that I'm going to say is, is made well, because from what I can tell it is, it's pretty accurate. It looks good, but in no way is this thing special. So what, what, what went from feeling special to me and I was like, wow, I was excited about it actually. Cause I thought it was a really cool, um, you know, watch that I could show people suddenly feels like not special. In fact, it feels totally the opposite of special where I, I, it's, I wouldn't say I've devalued it, but suffice to say that there are other watches I choose to wear when I want to have something special on my wrist, right? Alibaba. I feel like that is, you know, becoming a, a bigger thing, that whole experience. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it, given your position in the industry. Yeah, Alibaba is, 
listen, it, it's a great tool for a lot of people to use. But I think if you go to Alibaba and you pick up stuff off the shelf, you're not a brand. You're just reselling someone else's stuff and you threw your name on it. It's just private labeling stuff. Don't call yourself a brand. Just call yourself a private label. And you're you now turned yourself yeah. into a commodity. You're just selling a watch, but you're not a brand. You're not you're not any of that stuff. So you can you can hold on to the word micro, but you can't say micro brand. <laughs> you're just a micro watch. You're just a micro. You're a, you're a micro. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate. There there is you know the water is kind of cloudy. Like it's just it's not very clear. You know, to a lot of consumers out there, unfortunately, to understanding like you know what is considered a real brand, what's not considered a brand. They see a good-looking watch and it seems reasonably priced, and they just go out and buy it. And- no, I get it. I'm not going to mention names, but, you know, a lot of them have come and gone. You know, we're building every year. We're organic. We're building, you know, slowly. We have a high um, customer return rate, meaning not returning merchandise, but people coming back and buying. Like when we talk about numbers sometimes with some other people, marketing people and stuff like that, they're like in awe of our number almost 40%, 35 to 40%, which is crazy. Nice. Like nobody has that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just a testament, not because it's not a testament to, it's not just for one thing. It's for everything that we're doing from a product perspective. You know, you will not find our watches anywhere except on livewatches.com. We want to control. We're on Amazon only because, you know, we know a lot of people will use Amazon to check reviews. And so we're on there literally just so that people more feel more comfortable buying the first purchase from Amazon. They'll come there and buy, but we don't really like it. And I will tell you, for somebody that's out there that's looking to build a collection, you have to look for a brand. Ask the one question. Do you track your serial numbers? Meaning every watch you sell, is it serialized and is it tracked? And we've done that from day one. There's not one watch that we've ever built that's not serialized. And we built the system from day one to track every single serial number, whether it comes in for service, whether whatever happened with that watch, we track it. Why does that matter? Because of what's going on in the Alibaba world, where people are just producing watches at the millions. <laughs> no real log of exactly when the production happened, when it happened. I mean, I think it's important. Right. It's like the, it's like a birth certificate, maybe, in a way, right? Yeah, I mean... It gives you the history. Right. The, the brands that don't really care about building a brand, they'll just run it. Why, why would they care about serialization? You know, we plan on being around for the next 50 years. So I do care about serialization. I want to know the first watch that we sold. I want someone who owns one of our watches in 10 years from now to say, I own serial number, da, 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 da. But the guy who's buying stuff in Alibaba couldn't care less about that. He doesn't care. He has no, there's no long-term plan for that brand. Right. It's just how, you know, it's cool now. Yeah, I can go yeah, on Instagram. True. I could put up an ad on Instagram and I can sell some great looking stuff with some 3D you know, not unreal photography and, and, and just blow out some pieces for people that say, oh, it's cool looking watch. It's not an expensive. I'll just buy right. it. You know, I, I, you know, when I first started Wicca, um, watches you could afford Wicca, uh, I got uh, some feedback from customers, actually, you know, uh, not customers, I guess, viewers, readers. There we go. We got there eventually, folks. Basically, <laughs> they're like, how come, you know, your your photography, like, you know, there's dust on the watch or there's a haze or whatever. And I came back to, to that and I, I never forgot that one email because that actually that email was what prompted me to go out and I bought a bigger, batter camera. I bought a bigger, bigger, batter lens. I bought a ton of gear to, to try and improve my photography, which ultimately I, I feel I was pretty successful in. But I also went back to that person and I said, look, like the photography is not perfect because I don't want to hide the watch from you. I don't want to like go after the fact with my cleanup tool and clean up all the imperfections in the watch because now I'm. I'm hiding the the real watch from you. I'm showing you the idealized version of it, right? The perfect version of it. And that's not what you're receiving. 
you know? So, and it's, it's funny because like I've received watches to review that had very visible imperfections in the case on the dial. And I'm talking like visible to the naked eye kind of thing. Uh, and I, th I think it's, it's disingenuous to use uh, a render and present that as like a, an actual product, right? Like, I think it's good to show a render and like, this is what it's going to look like. But I'm the kind of person now in part of because of some of the things we've talked about where before I buy anything, I want to see what it really is. You know, like I want to I want to know, like, if there's going to be corrosion on the exterior of the case, for example, because it wasn't cast properly or they're using a poor quality material or whatever, like that matters to me. Part of what I've learned over the years to evaluate the quality of a watch is to look for those small little things. And it sounds like I can add serialization uh, as another qualifier to the mix. Absolutely. You know, what else should people be looking at, Chaz? Well, I think research is really important. I think you should do some research. Look at the reviews. Look at, you know, if you're, if you're looking at a smaller brand, and I don't want to use the word micro brand or like a boutique style brand, and just look at the reviews, see who they are, what they, what they stand for, communicate with them, send them an email, see how fast they respond. I mean, I think all those things are good signals to where this brand stands. And also look at some of their posts. For example, um, not just reviews, like you'll see people that are enthusiastic about a brand. They'll, they'll literally go in for every post and they'll like leave comments like, oh, I have this watch. Like when you post something like, oh, I have this watch. I love this watch. I'm happy with this watch. If you're looking for some tidbits, that's a small one for you. You know, one thing that uh, I look for, um, if it's an exhibition case back, I want to see specifically like how clean the movement is, but I also want to see signs of condensation. Um, you know, if, if there's like evaporated water uh, lines in the, in the watch for like, I look for that kind of thing. And then on the dial, I'm looking for alignment of indices. I'm looking for dust. And I know, you know, Liv, you guys have a whole, a whole spiel on dust that's out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I was looking at um, the rebel, when I first received the rebel, uh, there's actually a photo that I put on watches you could afford. That's a, it's an angled view of the dial and you can see the width of the dial. You can see the, cause the, the hour markers are cut out of the dial on that one. Right. And so, Stenciled. and it's true in the new rebel AR. And I want to talk about the rebel AR in a sec, you know, but I remember looking at it and I was amazed because the dial cutout was uniform. It was symmetrical. Everything was even. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I went like, nobody but me would ever even look for this. Right. I'm using a 90 millimeter macro lens and a DSLR camera and a photo booth with filters and whatever to see this. Only I'm going to see this, but look at that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when I'm looking at watches, I'm always looking at the finishing because, you know, it tells a lot, I think, about a brand on the finishing. If you see scratches on a hand or an indus, for example, I mean, that tells me that their quality standards maybe aren't of the same standards as my own. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, for example, every watch that we get in that comes in from the factory in Switzerland, we don't get like pre-packaged watches. They come in trays and then they go to QC. And then we inspect each one. You can see like brands that literally they'll buy stuff. Maybe they're buying it from China. Like it's all prepackaged. Like it's all ready to go. Slap a label and ship it. Like seriously, like every single watch that comes in, we inspect it when it comes in. And then when the order comes in, because we have a lot of different strap options, we add the strap, we put it into the box, we do another inspection before we ship it out. And that's why we have almost no returns when it comes to like defect because we, we check everything and we make sure we're giving constantly a feedback to our partners in Switzerland to, you know, like, we, you know, this, we got to fix this. We got to get this done. Like you had mentioned to me that there was a problem. And I think you put it in the video. You had a problem where there was a slight scratch on the movement, right? Oh, it was, yeah. A, a hairline scratch that I only saw from certain angles under direct light. I know, but that for me, that's like unacceptable. I know. And I'm actually happy that you mentioned it. And again, this goes back to the connections when, you know, we are, we're not going to get everything right 100%. So, you know, the guy that tells us, hey, you're great, 
I love it. Listen, it makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. But in reality, like intangible feedback is really the ones that say, hey, you got to change this. You got to fix this. And that's where we get to the Rebel AR. Right. In where this is a watch that I, you know, we launched. It was a brand new case. It was a new style of case. A lot of people told us, don't do this case. And we showed it to them. And I said, forget it. We're doing it. I'm not listening <laughs> to anybody. I love this style. I think we, we got to do it. It's, 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 it's rectangular. It's curved. It's got, it's, it's got a lot of different angles to it. Um, there was a lot of challenges in, in creating the crystal for it and make sure it doesn't flare up every time you, you know, you twist like all square watches. You have these issues, especially when you want to throw in an automatic movement in there and it's curved. Right. You know, it's very hard to make curved watches when the movement has to be exactly straight. I, I never even thought of that, Chaz, to be honest. Um, so how, you, can't, you can't curve the movement. Yeah. I mean, there are some curved movements out there, but those are like specialty items. Right. It's a big challenge with curved watches. And that's why you'll see a lot of curved watches. The, the, the movements are teeny because the bigger they are, the less you can curve because they just they have to go straight. Like, what do you do? So, well, it, it, I want to touch on, you know, you, you mentioned the scratch on the rotor of the watch I received. I thought it was pretty funny that I had to actively convince you and Ernest not to send me a new watch. <laughs> like you were, you guys were not taking no for an answer until I straight up told you like, no, like it's fine. Right. And I thought that was interesting. That's a, that's a good commitment. Uh, you know, so I received a rebel AR, um, a little while ago and, you know, yep. I, I'm getting it queued up for some macro photography over the weekend. And I noticed like there are some very tangible differences between the AR and the non-AR Rebel. And some of these are things actually I talked about in my review. <laughs> so I almost feel like you listened and you heard me and you made those changes. Yep. And like the the one that I'm that I like the most is um, you know, you made that exhibition case back just crystal clear so we can have a look at the kick-ass movement back there, right? Um, but you also made the dial a little bigger, which I think is kind of cool. It's kind of interesting. Um, you know, it, you'll see when I put the photos up of like the the, re the regular Rebel and the AR side by side. There's like a there's like a host of small but very noticeable differences. Like once you see it, you go, oh yeah, okay. I can see where that. Like I've even noticed the Rebel is a little brighter at night. I don't know if that's just me. No, maybe it's, it's maybe it's placebo or something. But I've noticed like the the loom seems to be brighter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we changed the loom on it. I mean, there's there's a host of things. I know they're all like small changes. But each one of these things add up to a lot of changes. So like, for example, if people said to us, like you said, they want to see the back. We thought etching the logo into the skeleton back, uh, the crystal would be cool. And people said, listen, we love your logo, but we really want to see the movement. So get rid of that. <laughs> so, so, you know, we're not sitting on a high horse. You know, we have to cater to the people that, that love our products and put the money into our products and want to feel proud wearing it. So that's gone. Yeah. Um, people said we need to make it thinner. We made it thinner. People said, hey, you know, the proportions, it needs to be a little wider. You know, the strap is not wide enough. We made it wider. It's now 23 millimeters wider. We opened up the dial. We flattened it. And we added this wonderful, which came out amazing because we went back and forth on these stripe. And we were looking for like a good concept. Because a lot of the people that wear our watches have an affinity to classic cars. And we thought it would just be a great touch to just pay homage to that era of, of those beautiful cars. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that. Um, I don't know if you actually knew this about me, but um, I run some very large car websites, supercars.net, mm. for example, is one site that I, you know, I, I provide strategic input on corpsport.com. I'm the managing editor of. And so when I saw the, the color schemes of the new Rebel AR, my first thought was I can think of a half dozen different Porsches, <laughs> Cor Corvettes, 
um, you know, like even some old school European brands like Triumph and stuff like that, where this watch would be a perfect complement to that car. I thought that was very well done. Yeah. And I'll talk about that in a lot more depth on my my review that is still forthcoming of the new Rebel AR. Um, all right, man. I you know what? Let's let's uh, let's wrap this conversation up because it's we're coming on we're coming on like fifty minutes. It's been a while, but it's been fun. Wow. Um, it's been great. I want to touch on one last thing. I want to go back to this authenticity piece. It's something that you said um, in, in a, a prior Wristful Thinking episode that again stuck with me. And that is that you spent two years working on and defining and refining the Live brand while you were still in the Kickstarter phase. And I want to know, what did you learn? What what takeaways from that process you know, are still with you today? If, if Let's just say I wanted to go start my own brand tomorrow. You know, what's the most important learning from that that I could take away? I would say probably the most, well, well the authenticity side is is, uh, is is obviously quite important because everything, that's the basis for everything that you're going to do. Right. But I, I think that in order to, if you decide that you want to create your own brand of watches, I think the most important thing that you really need to figure out is you need to define like what is your niche within the category. Like, for example, like we had an idea of, okay, you know, the first idea was, and I don't, I don't know if this is gonna if this is gonna ramble on a little bit, but the first idea was that there is a certain segment in the market in where the big watch brands they vacated, they didn't want to be there. Like to mention, like one one company, like for example, Tag Heuer. All of a sudden, their retail prices started going through the roof. I know the product, I know what it's built, I know how it's built, and it just doesn't make sense anymore. They vacated that whole, you know, the four or five hundred dollar quality Swiss made watch, Quartz, Chronos. They just vacated. They just left that to like to, like brands that considered it their high end. So there's this whole sweet spot of like between let's say four hundred to let's say eight hundred dollars in quality Swiss made watches that was completely vacated. And and so for me. And again, you, each person has to find their unique niche. For us, that was like a unique niche. Okay, so we're, we're going to focus and we're going to spend all our energy on focusing on this particular price point. And the most important thing for us and what's crazy about this whole thing is that when we came up with the idea, okay, we're going to create a brand that's going to have this personal relationship with the people that buy our watches, we actually didn't know how interested people would be. Like, we didn't realize the level of interest that people wanted to have. Like, we just said, okay, you know what? We have to define ourselves. We can't just be a regular brand. We're going to do everything different. And I can get into a whole other episode on how, on how step-by-step of what we did. But the big takeaway was we found the niche in a particular area that we want it to be from a price point, from a look, from a style. We, we do only men's watches. I'm not, I have no problem with making women's watches, but for me, the men's market is much stronger than the women's market. And we really wanted to define ourselves as a men's brand. And so we had like our ticks, like, you know, our checkbox. Okay. So we have our niche, we have our style, we have our look, we have our branding, we have our culture. We have, you have to have all those different check boxes that you need to have. You have to come up with your list. I can, I guess I could put a list together for you. <laughs> <laughs> for a future episode of Wristful Thinking. Exactly. Uh, all right, man. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we, uh, why don't we wrap it up there? You know what? I, I, I do want to remind everybody listening, you know, you can check out Live Watches, livewatches.com, L-I-V-watches.com. You can check out the new Rebel AR on the Live Watches launch platform. That is launch.livewatches.com. You know, it's it's currently still in that uh, early bird area. There's just over a week of time left to pick up uh, you know one of the new Rebel ARs for under five hundred dollars. I think it's a great idea. Uh, Chaz, man, this was an awesome conversation. Thank yeah. you very much thank you. Uh, for participating and for having me here. It was great. 
Ah, listen, Cameron, I always love talking to you. You're a natural, man. Thanks, brother. No, seriously. You sound good and you speak well and you uh, <laughs> and you know your stuff. So it's always awesome talking All to right, you. Man. Well, you know what? I appreciate that after after being in the, you know, on the on the fringe of the industry for seven Don't, years, you know, it's nice not, to hear somebody that knows. What I hope you're not blushing. I, you know, a little. I'm a little red. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Cool. Well, this was awesome. Thank you for this episode of Wristful Thinking. Have a great weekend, man. Yeah, cheers. You too. That was great. Take it easy, buddy. All right, man. Bye. And that's a wrap for this episode of Wristful Thinking. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us at livewatches.com and all the social networks on our journey where we make quality, unique Swiss timepieces for fans all over the world. Bye for now. 